Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Plastic Planet podcast with myself, Dr. Refilwe. Today's episode is really special. I, I really am honored to have our guest. She is an incredible young lady, um, extremely busy. So we, we're really lucky to have her on the podcast today. She is um, you know, a master's graduate. She holds a master's in molecular biology. She is a free diver uh, volunteer at you know nonprofit organizations. She is currently completing her PhD. So yeah, it's it's a it's a really busy year. If, if you know everyone knows anything about the PhD final year. So hi, Courtney, how are you? I'm good, and you? That was really kind. Thank you. Yeah, I think um I'm really excited to to really chat to you because. You know, I've been going through your LinkedIn status and I've seen, you know, you're very well traveled and you've published a lot in, you know, in the molecular biology field, but not only that, in aquatic biology and, you know, you've done work in, you know, plastics, um, pollution as well, a couple of articles online and you, you know, you just like really a person who's well vested in the marine space or in the environmental space. Uh, so. Just a little bit about who is Courtney Gardner? You know, when where did this love for the marine space come from? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's uh it's quite I mean, the person I always attributed to is my dad. Um, he's really, really interested in the marine environment. And um we used to spend many holidays um on the coast because he's from Cape Town. Um and he'd done his PhD a while ago, um, a very long while ago now. Um, and he focused in the marine side of things. So basically from like a super young age was like teaching my brother and I everything about the marine environment and teaching us to respect the ocean and, um, yeah, just really how beautiful it is. And, and, um, yeah. And then also my grandma is an amateur botanist and she was teaching me all about the plants and stuff as well. So I really had a lovely balance of the two where I got to learn all about the beautiful flora in the Cape region, but then also the beautiful marine environment that we have here. So um, between the two of them, I was basically destined to become a biologist because um, it was my childhood. So um, yeah, I'm very blessed to be able to call this a career where I get to play around and explore the things that I love the most. Yeah, I think just hearing you speak, I can actually feel or hear that smile coming through, um, that <laughs> you are really doing what you love. And I, I think in my introduction, I, I just alluded to some of the things that you you get to do, you know, uh, in and around the environmental space. Uh, where where do you get the time to do that, and how do you get to balance your timing? Because it's you know it's it's quite a bit for you know for someone who's pursuing their PhD career. Yeah, I mean, I think you you want to talk because you're involved in so many different things as well and I think when it's um you know your passion you just want to do it even outside of um work and in your real life and 
um yeah I've, I've got so many inspiring people around me um in academia who are part of some really amazing things so I you know it's really awesome to get involved in different um initiatives outside and also just um you know interact with the public because I think science can be a very lonely um field if you you're not doing that you know so um there's so many people who who love it the same way we do but may not be in um yeah yeah mm. I, I I hear you and I, I, I resonate quite well. You know, you, you've uh, spoken a little bit about, you know, how your parents, you, you know, between your dad and your granny, they really played a role in, in ensuring that, you know, you understand the importance of the environment. As, as a young person who, you know, is in this field and you see how, you know, the climate is changing, and you see how the environment is being impacted by, you know, a lot of the change that we see, you know, be it technology, be it, um, you know, just, uh, you know, people just chasing comfort. What would you say the main difference between, you know, environmental sort of um, respect or reverence, if you will, is between mm -hmm. when you were younger and and now. I mean, you're still very young, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. I just want to you to speak to, you know, what you see now with your peers as it relates to what your parents maybe would have um, taught you. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, um, my dad and I, um, he's like my best friend. So I I speak to him often about the work that we're doing in the lab and some of the work I've been involved in. And um, when, before my PhD, I was working um, for three years with the um, marine mammal nonprofit. And um, I'd be like, oh, dad, today, you know, on the boat, we saw killer whales. And he'd be like, what killer whales? Like we we never used to have killer whales in the bay um, oh. because he used to sail there. And, um, you know, then I'd be like, oh, telling him about the beautiful work, the seagrass work happening in Langabon and talking about how the seagrass beds are, decreasing and my dad used to work in Langabon and he's like you know finding that hard to believe so just being able to speak with someone who was in the field and isn't in the field anymore but you know his experiences and what he saw you know back in the 70s and compared to what I'm seeing now I think you know there were traces of these problems emerging in the 70s but now we're facing them head on where we have species that are really at risk and you know environments that are being completely for lack of a better term like mutilated by industry um so now we all the things that they've been working towards for so long um back in the you know back in the day it's like it's really coming to fruition now so I mean having someone to be able to tap into like I have with my dad and just people who've been in the field for as long as they have um to be able to talk to them and see, you know, how they've seen differences. I mean, if you speak to people who've been in academia for a really long time, they can say, yeah, well, 30 years ago, you we were seeing this and now, you know, they're seeing those changes. So it's actually really scary and it's hard to stay positive sometimes when you're in this field because it feels, um, yeah, like these changes are like climate change is happening so quickly. And, um, but yeah, I just got to keep on, adding to the body of knowledge that we already have yeah and I think you know with your incredible work that you're doing with the you know the DNA and RNA extractions and you know the genetics aspect of it that we are able to understand you know what mm -hmm. is it that um, is causing 
all this uh, extinction and the impact of climate change. And, you know, so my, my interest, you know, would be as a young person um, who constantly is in the lab and who's constantly having to, you know, to just be at the forefront of these discoveries and, and you know, these new findings, what would you say is the main thing that, uh, you know, people, you know, just in general should be able to, should understand about climate change and, you know, where, where things are going. And you spoke about how fast, you know, um, climate change is happening and the change is happening and how disheartening mm. that would be. Yeah, I mean, so when talking to a lot of people, I think there's a lot of fear around climate change and um it's you know it, it instills the same fear that you know COVID did and and load shedding does and I mean a lot of people feel like it's so hard like what can a, a regular person in their everyday life do um so sometimes when we are you know inundated with these really scary headlines news headlines about you know, the way things are changing and the weather patterns and how they're so extreme at the moment and species that are under threat and things like that, we we sometimes start, you know, shutting down because we don't want to think about it or talk about it and things like that. So, I mean, my biggest piece of advice is sometimes you just have to lean into that fear. And I mean, it feels like sometimes as one person, you really can't do anything and you can't make a difference. And Sometimes it's easier just to be ignorant to these problems. But I think, you know, it's a lot less scary than the media may make it seem sometimes. Like the yeah. way I always say, like there's small changes you can make. We're not asking for every single person to kind of live off the grid and, um, you know, live a plant-based lifestyle and X, Y, and Z. Like there are small things that you can do um, to make a change and I think just leaning into that fear and like educating yourself about what's happening and how you can make a difference and just being sort of educated about your footprint yeah it's something that in in my field like well like because I've recently sort of been thinking a lot about this like you think about it in the lab when you're using all these different plastics you know um, to do the genetic work that will feed into climate change research and it will make a big difference but the amount of plastic waste I'm producing it can be a, a little bit you know overwhelming or thinking okay well I get to travel to this amazing conference overseas but is that worth it based on the climate footprint like you know things like that and really sort of it makes you start thinking about your own behaviors because I mean of course one person can't change policy and can't change industry and things like that but it's just thinking on an individual level can sometimes help yeah you know yeah I think as as you speak um you know I really just am trying to make the connect between you know the technology that we have you know I I think you know now that people can be on zoom and yeah. and on teams online and and host conferences um yeah. but it is that a substitute for in-person or physical uh interaction do you do you believe that um technology is advanced enough for us to be able to you know make necessary changes in that in that space particularly for scientists and people who are in the scientific field Mm. No, that's a really great question and something I've thought a lot about because um, when I was working for this NGO, uh, Sea Search, we had actually 
it was 20, 2020 and we had this beautiful conference organized an African bioacoustics conference and um it was going to be held in Stellenbosch we'd found venues we you know we we were ready um to host this conference in person and then obviously COVID happened and we had to change the plans completely and and really think about how to make online conferences a lot more you know like how do you get that networking when you're online and it's really difficult um it's really difficult to get the same sort of environment going and collaboration going especially when you can't see people and I, I don't know about you but I really struggle yeah to listen to talks online when when you're in person it's just different um but I mean there are a lot of beautiful tools coming into play now I mean I did an online conference like two years ago and um I was able to make a lot of really awesome connections from that and a lot of people wanted to discuss you know with me afterwards and I mean it maybe wasn't the same as an in-person conference um yeah so I think it's like weighing up your options but I think I I've sort of the 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 small rule or I've applied to myself is like one overseas trip <laughs> yeah even that feels like a lot honestly yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know just monitoring that because I mean I definitely know some people that I'm friends with in in in, in different fields and in the, in the commerce side of things are traveling overseas about 30 times a year sure. you know for work jet yeah. setting and you definitely think that there is sort of a balance of sorts like mm-hmm. if you you know just like as you correctly say that you know if you're doing a lab visit too because you know in South Africa we do not necessarily have all the equipment that probably the global north would have and probably traveling to you know just conduct an experiment in a lab or you know trying to get a workshop going and that is sort of probably just reasonable but if you know just like conferences that can be hosted online or meetings that can be hosted online Mm -hmm. I think there is room there to say um you know let's let's rather do that you know I, I think also if you I reflect on, you know, just a recent paper of mine that I had to do during COVID as well, that initially it was all the eight countries will meet and will write this fantastic paper about plastic pollution and how to sort of mitigate it internationally. But, um, you know, COVID happened and we had to do it online. And, you know, to Mm -hmm. just think that I've never met, you know, most of my collaborators on the paper, you know, but we managed to really get the message out. You know, how it just it, it just goes to building a, you know, a like innovative strategies and to just thinking outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. The one good thing that came out of COVID was <laughs> the technology and all the interactions that we got yeah. to have. I completely agree with you in that regard. You know, um, yeah. we all became a lot more open to having these online meetings and uh, you know reaching out in different ways and connecting with people in different ways and I think maybe yeah I think it, it's a good thing but like you said I mean I like obviously last year I went to you know this um to go visit um a genetics lab in, in Denmark and, yeah. and being there it's it's yeah you're, it's not the same as being online and knowing and hearing about it and I mean being there and interacting with people for more practical work obviously is very beneficial and and sometimes also having those really um crucial meetings you know where you need everybody to sort of be present you know both physically present but also mentally present because they're there in that meeting fully yeah. participating yeah. sometimes in person is really really valuable too 
Yeah. And I, I think we've really just spoken a lot about, you know, climate change and, you know, the impacts and we just gotten like really, you know, just in depth without really just defining the term, you know, just like what is, yeah. what is climate change? I think in, in just layman's language, you know, what would you say climate change is um, and how should we receive that? Yeah, I mean, so back in the day, the, I'll try to keep it simple, I guess, but I mean, for a really long time, people were calling it global warming and that's um, not accurate because it's not just warming. Um, yeah. the, the climate is changing everywhere in response to um, various anthropogenic factors. And it's it's far more complicated than one place warming or ice caps melting. I mean, obviously that is happening, but um, everywhere is changing. And I think we're, we're seeing that this year um, or last year, really, with the extreme weather events that we've been experiencing. But yeah, in layman's term, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, climate changing, not just in terms of temperature, but in terms of many other factors and weather events and um, extreme weather events, like extreme heat waves and, and flooding and things like that. So it's just um, different from the norm and, um, and different from predicted normal fluctuations in temperature we're finding now I, I think it was like I mean what it's like we're increased with with marine environments at least it's um 0 0.5 degrees celsius per day um what, per 10 years changing and that's um I mean that sounds very little yeah but in, in when you're thinking about um marine environments are a lot more sensitive uh, the marine species are a lot more sensitive to those changes so it's just the environment changing around us and and it changing to the point so quickly that things are not able to adapt in time yeah because you know I, I think you know just to put things into perspective you know one person would say but a one degree change you know in the mm -hmm. marine space shouldn't be too much um you know it it, it doesn't seem like it's a lot so what, like, how would you just explain it to someone who, who's probably not familiar with the marine environment, just how important and how vast the, the problem is or the drastic change in temperature is, even yeah. if it's just by one degree Celsius? Yeah, I mean, so the, the thing I always say is like, if you're looking at the stats, um, terrestrial environments are are actually changing much more than marine environments but actually marine species are reacting more to these temperature changes and that's because marine species have something called a, a narrower thermal margin thermal um, range that they can that they can um you know deal with yeah. so when you have 0 0.5 degrees it sounds very little but i mean if you're thinking that a prolonged exposure over time for a species that can only survive between 10 to 20 degrees, now you're going outside of that window and, you know, that species then is suffering. So now in marine environments, we're seeing it, you know, there's many, many examples, particularly in South Africa as well, um, where species are having to move to get out of those, you know, warmer or cooler systems because they're now out you know it's not out of their thermal range you know sure so now you say species you know will move um you know I'm, I'm picturing you know that you know there's different obviously tropical zones that have been there for you know 
years and um, animals have adapted to those, you know, sort of climates or the, you know, environmental temperatures. And yeah. you know, the moving of the uh, animals in the ocean, you know, just how does that affect the entire food chain, which which includes humans, by the way, um, even though we yeah. don't live in the marine space. So just talk yeah. to us about how that impacts, you know, the entire food chain if sort of, you know, say the anchovy um, is, is probably not, you know, uh, comfortable in, in one space, for instance, um, and now it moves to another, you know, what yeah. implications are around it? Yeah, I mean, it has it has quite, for lack of a better word, extreme implications, you know, um, I think we think, okay, cool, what does it matter that, you know, an anchovy is uh, now shifting? Um, but I mean, when it when it comes to like commercially important fish species in the marine environment, which is something that I'm focusing on, um, if the anchovy is then moving eastward or northward into different regions, it'll impact those fisheries that have now, you know, found a lot of fisheries are situated closest to, to their resource, right? So now if the resource is moving, then that means that that fishery either has to then spend more money to travel further dis uh, distances to then access those fish, or then they have to transition to a different fish species, right? Um, yeah. And and that will also be expensive. So having these species changing and shifting into different regions will impact us in that way. But I mean, also we have the added complications. So like if you're looking at the Southern African coastline, what we're seeing now with Hague, for example, is they're moving northward into Namibia. So that will then impact the South African fishery, right? Because now we're having to work with a different country and they're now able to access more Hake than we will. And and there's people's livelihoods at stake here. I mean, Hake um, is, you know, our biggest fishing industry. It's, it makes a, forms a large part of our GDP. And now if we're not able to access it at the same rate that we were, then that will have a huge impact on massive industries like INJ and sea harvest and things like that, but also on the small scale to people whose jobs literally, you know, rely on these species being present. So it, and then, then you think of those people's families and you think of the people working in the factories processing these fish and you're thinking of it, on so many different scales, all these people are being impacted. Um, so when it feels like, oh, global change, global climate change, how is that actually going to impact me when you start looking at it in you know in more depth and you look at that network and chain that these species are connected to it can it can be disastrous and then also then you're thinking about it on an ecological scale you're thinking about the species that feed on those species so yeah. if my food source is moving do i move with it you know how does that impact me and and we're seeing that then with the with species like the um penguin for example who have less access to fish and are in massive decline but I mean that's not so much for because of fish species moving but that's just because of fisheries in general but you know you can see these networks and this knock-on effect and and it becomes far more complex than just one species being impacted but you know humans as well and I think when humans are involved then we listen, you know. Yeah, I think that's how selfish we are, you know, as as a human species. Um, I think it's yeah. it's often, you know, it 
it's not really that important unless you know it affects us directly you know um yeah. and i just i just love that she just you know beautifully spoke on so many different facets and um you know factors that are directly and indirectly um affecting humans you know the human species because um i'm just thinking for instance when you said that uh, you know they move from one country to another because then that's a whole lot of uh, it's a whole different ball game you know mm. the expense yeah. comes in you know just knowing how the you know just food in south africa is already so expensive and that also is adds another dynamic because you know, so the consumer bears the cost of uh, you know of all those changes eventually you know yeah exactly exactly it's far more complicated and i mean then we have to interact with the countries that are now you know at play here and and we all know that when it comes to politics <laughs> things can get really complicated and uh, yeah and sometimes messy um and i think also just in terms of if you think like we have um fishing quotas that people can must stick to that the government has um done these surveys and they've been able to quantify what the safe sort of threshold of harvesting is and we say okay you can harvest x number of fish but if those fish are then moving we could still collapse that fishery because we're still fishing at the same rates that we were told to fish but now these species are under threat from things outside of us Yeah, that's, I think right now I'm just mind blown by, you know, how everything is so interconnected because we are yeah. often just, you know, just uh, inclined to think that one thing, you know, as long as I'm focusing on one area, um, you know, just working in silos and, and, you know, completing my own thing, then that's mm -hmm. all I need to know. But I think you just highlighted that that's not necessarily the case. And we, definitely cannot afford to think like that anymore do you know yeah yeah 100 I, I think science needs to move away um from that you know from that uh silo you know up in the tower <laughs> doing yeah. your fun times. I mean as, as fun as that can be I mean everybody has very different perspectives and I think uh, you know that's something that uh, it seems like science is moving towards where we're learning to communicate with stakeholders from different you know areas who have a wealth of knowledge like when it comes yeah. to fisheries for example we we've started with my project talking to the guys in fishing industry and also the guys in government who are right there yeah. and have knowledge that we don't have and I mean you know you want to hear what do you need from us because at the end of the day we need to work together like what do you need from the scientists what how, how can we best give you this data how can you know because at the end of the day, it's in our all of our best interests that, um, you know, things remain the same, that species are still there for us to harvest or that those environments aren't completely decimated. Yeah, I'm actually interested in, you know, what those conversations look like, you know, um, you know, and how they are received, you know, when you go and, you know, just speak to a politician, uh, for instance, yeah. um, you know, about conservation and sustainability you know um, yeah, yeah. i yeah i i think you just you you've grown up in a family it, it sounds like that understands um the importance of the environment and um that 
probably does not have, correct me if I'm wrong, a difficulty mm -hmm. in um, sort of respecting the environment and, and working, you know, in harmony with the environment. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also interested in, you know, what those conversations between um, other stakeholders look like. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I was just thinking when you were saying it, and it's not really answering your question yet, but um, I think caring about the environment is easy when you come from a place of privilege. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody has complicated, um, you know, complicated circumstances that make it, it different and difficult for each person. So I think communicating and interacting with people from different areas, you know, teaches you to respect that and it's something and I'm still really learning because I think like when your livelihood is directly related or directly dependent on um something like fisheries then you know you don't really want some scientists saying hey you can't fish here because um it's going to impact you in a direct way and it's going to impact your family and it's going to you know it's 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 far more complicated so it's easy to be like hey I'm going to tell you what to do because I'm uh, someone sitting on the outside and studying this. Um, yeah. But speaking with those people who, I mean, we don't really get to speak with the the ministers or people who are really up there. I mean, I get to, uh, we have some incredible people in the DFFE who um, are there doing the monitoring and who are so open to working with scientists specifically. And I mean, this is from the fisheries perspective. I'm really, really impressed with the people we have working in those um spaces and and they are very open to that but i mean then you have the the step from that the people in industry who really are quite no. <laughs> apprehensive of scientists because they um you know they're so used to being told what to do they just you know but hurtful for lack of a better yeah. word they've been tired <laughs> of us they've been tired of us telling them what to do and I think they need to know why and why is it in their best interest and why should they care and why you know why is this in you know is this financially viable okay so if if the fish are moving that actually is going to impact me financially so I guess I need to listen to you and and but what I need from you is you to tell me you know where can I move instead what must I do um instead of just telling me no you know it's it's far more complicated like I said you have to engage with people like when I first came into science I thought okay knowledge is everything telling you know having the knowledge and and telling people, you know, educating people is the way forward. But I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I think listening yeah. to other people's stories and hearing, you know, why they have these mental blocks or why they have different priorities to you is important. And trying to come to a consensus is what's important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've also just shied away from educating, um, you know, the term educating you know, in recent years and just sort of gravitate to what's knowledge exchange because exactly. as you have, you know, just, uh, you know, just alluded to, you know, it's it's not just the scientists that hold the knowledge. You know, there's so much knowledge 100%. in industry and in someone who gets to interact with the environment on a daily, you know, in far more intimate, you know, um, spaces than scientists would. Um, I, I think, you know, it, there is room for that, uh, knowledge exchange and learning from one another you know in a mm. respectful manner because I, I I do you know suppose at the end of the day we all want the same thing we all you know just uh, want to preserve and conserve 
the environment and, and work more sustainably with the environment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, at the, yeah, like the, you put it perfectly. I love the terminology exchange. Um, yeah. yeah, just making our science more accessible um, and just listening. It's, yeah. It's important. I think, you know, just speaking of, uh, you know, that uh, the human aspect of us and, you know, the knowledge exchange and really just going and, and, and being in touch with, you know, the homo sapiens, the species that yeah. are the culprits in, in this whole thing. Um, what do you think that the human behavior uh, is, you know, what, let me just say maybe, what do you think that um, is the one behavior that is causing, you know, a, a challenge in, in, you know, in climate change? You know, I, I think, you know, my question moves more towards what can, you know, humans change if we were to pinpoint that one thing that is terrible behavior, in your opinion, that humans are doing, and if they can just change that, um, then, you know, it would be sort of a better experience for everyone. I wish it was one thing. Yeah. I I don't I don't think there's one single thing personally. I think it's a it's a very nuanced and, and a lot more complicated um than just one single thing that we can change. I mean obviously uh, like I think you know those big industries are really sometimes the ones that have uh, have really impacted you know the environment the most. Um, obviously there's the small scale stuff, but I really think in the greater scheme of things, the small, the small scale, um, changes that people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis really don't have the greatest impact. Um, so I think you could personally change your behavior. Um, but yeah, it's really those big industries. And I think, I think as a, as your lone little person, sometimes it's it's about who you choose to support because I mean where we put our money is is who we're supporting and endorsing so um I think a nice example of that was the the whole shell thing <laughs> I mean when they were doing the seismic stuff and how you know the South Africans kind of bound together there and we're like no we're not gonna get any petrol from shell um yeah. because I mean yeah so I think um really watching those you know big um big companies and seeing what they do and holding them accountable uh, I think that's really important and seeing who you actually want to support um I mean obviously it's not that simple because if we had to do that we probably wouldn't be buying any petrol um but you know I think it's important to see who actually is um who actually is thinking about the future um which companies are actually prioritizing that you see, that is actually so interesting that you would um, just say there isn't that one thing that one can do, you know. We all would just wish to just like have that magic wand and just have that one thing that we can do to feel better, you know, about our carbon footprint, if you will. So um, I, if, if it can take us through, you know, some of the human patterns, you know, that exacerbate climate change and uh you know just uh just to name some of them and you know so that we can relate to you know what is it that we can or cannot do to to really be part of the positive side of things 
Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, so what I was speaking about earlier was the looking at your personal impact and your personal footprint and really sort of uh, really looking at your day-to-day life and, and the impact you have on the environment and the traces you leave behind. And I think um, one of the really good examples of that is like waste production and, and sort of consumption. So first, like how much are you consuming in, as a household? Mm-hmm. Um sort of where are you getting your groceries from what are you eating um and really being mindful of that and 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 you know I think um it's really important to look at things like reducing the amount of meat you eat and I'm not saying completely go cold turkey but um looking at that and and looking at the footprint of the different sort of things you choose to eat and and I think that's important, but also food waste and and looking at how much in a week do you actually not eat and then end up throwing away. And then also looking at then your plastic production and, and your waste from the food that you're eating. Because yeah. I mean, often a lot of it can be avoided. Like why put bananas in a packet when they've got their own protective sleeve, natural protective sleeve on them, you know? Yeah. Things like that. I'm really looking at, at um, uh, you know, and pushing back on if a if a grocery store is saying hey package every single red pepper you decide to to pick up if you're only picking up one red pepper put it in the package you're like well does that really make sense or um rather using reusable water bottles instead of going and and buying bottled water every single day and um you know looking at rather using a filter a water you know filter jug in your fridge rather if you're worried about water quality than going and buying bottled water and really looking at those small behaviors that um that can really make quite a big difference if all of us are really coming in and i think a good example with in cape town we had that that massive um, water crisis and drought and and you really yeah. saw everybody coming together in South Africa there specifically in Cape Town really changing their micro behavior um, yeah. I don't think that's an actual term but um, on a small scale and and really like investigating okay I don't actually need to wash my car every single week or I you know need to be more mindful and try and collect gray water and thinking about everything that you're doing and and how you're impacting the bigger picture. And I think that was like a really beautiful thing to see when everybody shifted their behavior just slightly and inconvenienced and, and shifted, changed things up just slightly in their own in their own life. Um, yeah. How that actually made a huge difference in the greater scheme of things. And I think you can see that when you look at small examples like plastic waste and, and uh, food waste and maybe I should carpool with a friend to work and I mean the nice thing once again about COVID is now a lot of us are working remotely so that's less of a carbon footprint in terms of that yeah um but really looking at little things and um and just thinking a bit more and being a lot more thoughtful and I think thoughtful is the word that I always think about like what are you doing why are you doing it yeah you know how is it necessary and does the cost outweigh the benefit or vice versa and things like that so I think it's really important and I think it can make a difference and I think it's so easy it's the easy way out is just to say well listen I can't make a difference because I'm one small person but I mean if we all thought that then would anything ever change probably not I think we've seen if we you know come together as a group and make a change 
all of us slightly adjust, I think it can make a really big change. So I think on a small scale, we really can move mountains. I don't know. <laughs> well, when you're in Cape Town, it's like they write yeah, moving mountains, oh. moving the table mountain. How about that? Yeah, yeah. But, See, we all came together. <laughs> yeah, hey. Do you know, I, I, I think you've just like, again, you know, a lot of examples and a lot of practical things that can be done, uh, you know, to make sure that we are on the right side of history. But mm -hmm. I think you've said the magic word more than once. And I you know, I couldn't contain myself when you said plastic waste. And I was like, you know, mm -hmm. this is the Plastic Planet podcast and we discuss everything plastic, Um, you know. So just interested in what is your relationship with plastic? You know, just uh, give you three options. So the first one, um, I would say, you know, it's like you get the sort of healthy plastic people that are just like, no, I'm okay. I, you know, I, I'm mindful of using plastic, um, you know, when I use it and I try to avoid it as much as I can. But when I do use it, or if I do have to use it, I just recycle or find a way of upcycling somehow, right? And you find yeah. people who are, you know, just like haters, who like, I hate plastic. Like, I cannot mm. stand it. Like, don't bring it close to me. This is like the forbidden you know, sort of thing, <laughs> you know, object. And then you find the heavy users, you know, people who are saying, listen, as long as I can afford it, as long as it's uh, protecting me and my health, as long as it's at my disposal, I really, you know, I'm going to use it. Um, it's it's all about convenience after all, you know, it's like, you know, almost as if until something else is better than plastic, don't talk to me about moving plastic. So which one are you? I'm definitely not the last one I'd <laughs> like to think I mean it, it really would shock me if there's a lot of people who still feel that way You'd be um, yeah yeah I mean I definitely I think I'm in that healthy user that's option number one yeah um, I definitely think sometimes it is unavoidable um I mean we're all I mean I'm a student so sometimes you know when go I can't always go in into a wonderful environmentally friendly grocery store and uh you know bring jars and things like that I mean we do we do with our longer term um like flowers and things like that we go to um you know grocery stores that don't involve packaging and things like that but and not for everything unfortunately um yeah. so I, I yeah it's I, I try and change the things that are easier like if you're going to a um get your coffee and then don't get a plastic lid for your coffee because you're very capable of walking without spilling although sometimes it is difficult for me being as clumsy as I am but um you know you don't need to you don't need a straw for this you don't need a packet for three items in a grocery store um, yeah. you don't need a packet at all you can you're an adult you can remember to bring some bags and I think a lot of um us keep them in our cars nowadays so yeah. um when we're going shopping we think about that and I think I just try and, and adjust, you know, where I can. And if I do slip up one day and forget to bring a, a fabric bag because we're all, you know, human, then if I get that plastic bag, I'll bring it home and I'll fold it up and I'll reuse it a few more times over um, until I can't anymore because, you know, now it's part of my life. I'm not going to use it only once. And uh, I made that choice. So you know, I'll try and get the most use out of it before before throwing it away. But I mean, sometimes I do think it's unavoidable. Um, 
so yeah that's how I feel about it oh wow that is impressive actually to just also know you know that because I think a lot of people would say no um you know I, I don't do it I I hate you know a lot of people when you especially with the scientists and you know more sort of aware people would say no um you will never find me with plastic and you know um you know just all the time I'm at the point where I bring my own water bottle bring my own fabric um you know just bag when I go shopping yeah you know so just people would just so want to paint this very perfect picture of uh, you know not having a carbon footprint at all um I think it's I important to be realistic you know yeah um and also I mean you got to remember I'm a <laughs> I'm a geneticist and unfortunately the amount of plastic we go through in the lab albeit yeah. um, unavoidable because that's the way it has to be um you know I would it's yeah. it's very it's very uh it's very hectic <laughs> yeah. so you just have to be realistic that in some situations unfortunately there is no alternative uh, with lab work and things like that at the moment um but hopefully once again the benefit outweighs the cost so hopefully the science I'm doing I can you know actually sure make it go somewhere and make a difference you know I I just love that uh, you, you've been just you know like so honest Courtney about you know the and and realistic about our use of plastic and about you know particularly the science field and the you know the medical field you know one would say they are very heavy users of plastic right um you know and and it could be a life and death situation sometimes you know particularly in I I know in genetics as well you know um is it accurate uh, it's, it's a discrepancy between are you accurate or are you not and in the medical field is you know we need sterile environments and sometimes we have to um, use plastic you know and um, that sort of demarcation of plastic is something that is, is not evil it's just the behavior patterns around plastic that are you know are to our own detriment 100 percent. i mean it's all about whether or not um yeah whether or not it's worth it I think being realistic is um is the best thing because I think you have these amazing humans out there who are able to completely change their behavior and completely cut things out like plastic and um you're I really I had a friend in undergrad who was just like that and you know she went one day from you know owning uh commercially produced clothing and things like that to completely opposite side of where she was crocheting her own things walking around barefoot you know vegan lifestyle but also like making her own hygiene products and things like that and like yeah. incredible and, and no plastic nothing and I think you know that's obviously the optimal goal that's that's the best case scenario but I think when trying to make it applicable to your everyday person obviously that's not something that's always feasible for everyone because yeah. I think sometimes it can be financially demanding to switch everything out and um, sometimes the grocery shops that you can afford to shop at are not super plastic friendly um, you know and things like that so I think honestly just making the change where you can is what's important because it's better than nothing right um, because yeah if you're doing nothing like there's no difference being made and I think sometimes people when they think that they need to mirror this amazing um 
you know, example that some people set. Um, they think, yeah. okay, well, I can't do it, so I'm not going to do anything. And then that defeats the whole point because um, then, yeah, it's, yeah, you're just, you yeah. might as well, yeah, not even try. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of mentality I'm, I'm trying to um, apply to myself because I think it can get very stressful and um, very, you know, obviously I think in our field it's always on our mind yeah and something that's really hard to not think about and I think it can it can get really like that climate anxiety is really a thing so yeah. I think just doing what you can in anything in, in life you can just do what you can um, yeah I think that is amazing and that is um you know just like listening to you so many things come to mind you know um you know I'm thinking about how extensively We've spoken about climate change and, you know, the impacts of climate change and also just touched quite a bit on plastics and, um, you know, just trying to marry the two. Um, I'm thinking of how plastic is made from, you know, byproduct of oil and how we just, uh, you know, also spoke about those companies that were against oil companies that are, you know, negligent of the environment, um, you know, just also goes to show how everything is you know, so connected, how important that interdisciplinary um, approach that we also alluded to earlier on is, is uh, quite important, particularly in the science field in this day and age. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think being more like, you know, I I learned so much from from you and other people around me about more about microplastics and plastics and, and the pollution that comes from plastics. And I think, um, I think that's the point, right? Because I think a lot of us don't know um, about the products we use every day and how they're made and and where they go when they're finished. You know, you're you're done with them, but I mean, the environment has to bear the burden of that object for many, 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 many years to come. So I think it's yeah. important that uh, you know we try and connect with people and and tell them about that. And I think you're doing a great job of that with this podcast. You know telling people and teaching people about about these things so I think awesome. that's a good step in the direction you know in the direction of um really getting people to change their behavior thank you so much and thank you as well for being on the right side of history you know just really you know just spending endless hours in the lab trying to ensure that we have the most updated information and and just sacrificing so much you know to to the science you know because as, as you did say, it's not a, you know, just instant gratification, uh, the science fields. You know, there's a lot of hours that are spent in isolation in the lab and, you know, a, a lot of rejection because things don't always go our way. But then I think your tenacity and um, your, your passion for the environment really just, um, you know, just inspires us all. And I, I think I've seen you work and, and put your heart and soul into it. So it's just really... Thank you so much for, for doing what you do and just continue doing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think it's um a little bit of everybody. It's so lovely to see, you know, even just people on, you know, every day all around you trying to make the right choices. I think it's really inspiring and it makes, you know, at least we're all doing what we can to make a difference. And I think that's what motivates us here, you know, yeah. just trying to add something you know that will be of worthwhile you know worthwhile and will actually um benefit 
future generations? Yeah, I think uh, just finally, you know, on the Plastic Planet podcast, we love to end things on a beautiful note and a positive note, that is. So just like one more question uh, that I will ask you um, is, can we turn the tide against that, well, one plastic pollution, but then climate change? Do you think it's, it's you know, it's possible to reduce climate change um, or our footprint or carbon footprint at the moment? Is it something that is feasible? hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I think the one thing, uh, my first love is evolution and with evolution comes adaptation. And I think that's something humans are really good at. And I think we've proved it time and time again, that we're able to change and we're able to change our behavior and we're able to come together and make those changes. And I think, um, you know, I think if we really make a concerted effort and we, we have these people who are so interested and you look at the, the youth <laughs> coming through, you know, you have people, um, to look up to who and these people you know getting involved and activists and and you know young people thinking about these things and it's just really yeah. inspiring because I think things will change I really do and um it may not get bit, better quickly but it, it will improve and I think if we you know we came together with COVID the world locked down and we were able to do that and we were able to get through a very hard time and I think the same can be said for something like climate change and plastic pollution I think unfortunately things are going to get real and we're going to have to learn very quickly to adjust where we can and I think we'll be able to when it, it's it's necessary and I think um a lot of people are already doing that but I think the vast majority will when when they really start seeing the evidence awesome. so that's why we do what we do <laughs> the majority will win I love that um yeah so thank you so much Courtney for coming on it's been a a blast I think I've had such an awesome time with you and thank you for sharing your knowledge and um, your time. Um, yeah, and all the very best on your work, your PhD. Um, we're seeing you graduate this year. And I, yeah, just wanted to have you on my podcast. Thank you. And it's such an honor to be here. You're a science communication queen. So yeah, it's really inspiring to see the work you do. And